it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. Uh, so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here, some are far away, some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Special thanks to my family and friends and to my coworkers in public broadcasting, family communications, and this academy for encouraging me allowing me all these years to be your neighbor. May God be with you. Thank you very much. That's Mr. Rogers, everyone. Good morning. We are in a series of four parts where we are exploring together the story of the good neighbor in Luke chapter 10, and we've been walking step by step on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, seeing how Jesus invites us to love the people around us. In other words, please, won't you be a neighbor? Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you, Lord, that it speaks so fresh to us today. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus spoke this story out and it was recorded for us, preserved by the Holy Spirit, for the many centuries, believers like us have been sitting at the feet of this story, trying to learn and wrestle, Lord, how are you calling us to love our neighbors as ourselves? Instruct our hearts as you have been doing to me. Lord, help me to communicate your story with authenticity. Let us receive it, Lord, in a way that leads us to change renewed lives in you. All for Jesus' sake. Amen. This story is pretty amazing uh, because it's a, it's a uh, parable that Jesus told in response to a lawyer who came up to test him, saying, okay, how do I do this? How do I inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? Okay, well, what do you think? And the lawyer says, well, I've been reading the Word. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor. Jesus is like, oh, yeah, you got it. That sounds good. Take care. Starts walking away. The guy's like, wait, 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 wait. Be a little prideful. Who's my neighbor? Ah, Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And he sets this story, this parable, on Jer Jericho Road, which is a 17-mile stretch from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was an infamous road, a, a commute, you could call it, from the working place of Jerusalem to the, to the suburbs, beautiful area in Jericho. 
So people would have sometimes homes in both places or work in one and stay there and go off to the other area and, and rest. So it was a well-traveled road. Lars and I were reflecting on that this week. We realized it is exactly 17 miles from Hinsdale to Union Station. And just like that path, Jericho Road was known to be a dangerous path. There were robbers and bandits all over it. Anyone traveling it was at their own risk. So when Jesus said there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, everyone hearing him at the time would have thought, ah, okay, there's some risk here. That's a dangerous road. Now, I believe that Jesus set the story, the parable on Jericho Road, not just for listeners in that day, but also for us to recognize that life really is a dangerous road. We all live on Jericho Road. And it doesn't matter how safe and nice our neighborhoods are, our lives are filled with opportunities for robbers and thieves to come and break in, for injury to happen, not to mention the fact that we have a great enemy that would love to steal and kill and destroy. We all live, friends, on Jericho Road. So in the setting of that, we ask ourselves, as it was asked of Jesus to his disciples there, he said, which one of you, which one of these will be a neighbor to the one who falls among the robbers. Who is it that's going to answer that call to be a neighbor on Jericho Road? And this is our story. And then how? How do we go about loving the people that we meet on Jericho Road? So our series has been step-by-step now. This is week three. I'll recap where we were, but these series are online. You're welcome to listen to them. Obviously, we unpack these thoughts a little bit better on there. But the step number one, I said, was to be a companion. The priest and the Levite, it says, they were going by chance. They saw the man laying there half dead, naked, beaten up, everything he had robbed, and they walked on the wide side and pretended not to notice. Ah, but the Samaritan, it says, as he journeyed, he saw the man. There was something distinctive about the way that the Samaritan went. He journeyed. There was an intentionality to his walk as he journeyed. Now, that's our invitation. Step number one, how do we begin to love our neighbors? I think it's begin walking with intentionality, journeying through the course of our day. For those of you who take the daily commute into the city, it's not just doing it by chance or because you have to. You are being sent on a journey. When we go to school in the morning, we are being sent on a journey. When we go to Mariano's for that last-minute rush of groceries, we are being sent on a journey. We go with intentionality. And instead of walking along the wide side for anyone that's in our way, we look at the value of everyone around us. Now, we do that because they're made in the image of God, just like you and I are, brothers and sisters and that. We see value in everyone. And I think one of the most practical ways that we can be a companion on the road is to simply be nice. Can I be honest with you for a second? We moved here a little over a year ago. Uh, from, yes, it was the, the Bible Belt of the South, Texas. But I'll be honest, there's not a lot of joy in this area. We live in some of the most beautiful neighborhoods I've ever seen, with opportunities abundant. And many of us drive wonderful cars. We attend schools of great reputation, and most of the stories I hear are kids come out of these schools and they go off and they go into wonderful, wonderful opportunities. But there's not a lot of joy in this area. 
In fact, I see kind of the opposite. I see a lot of grumpy faces. I see them on the road. I see them in the store. I see them in the schools. I just go around and see a lot of grumpy faces. So I've been trying something different. As a companion on the road, I've been trying to do something different. I'll show you what it is. It's this. <laughs> I've just been doing this lately. Hey, how you doing? I would do it in grocery stores, walk through Mariano's. Again, last minute grocery run, grabbing some things for dinner that night. Hey, no, go on. You can come on through. Hey, how you doing? You'd be surprised. People look first of all like, okay, dude, what's that dude's problem? <laughs> it's just one way I'm looking to add some value to people's life. Hey, just a nice smile. Just being joyful. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our So hey. I'm just walking around being a companion, seeing value in people. And as the Lord gives me opportunities, I'll ask a question. How are you doing? That's pretty normal. Ah, doing okay. Oh, just okay. Long shift. What's going on? How you been? What I'm doing in asking questions of people is just seeing how they're doing and then also listening. Is there an opportunity for me to take this conversation further? Ooh, I've been working a long day. Yeah, it's my third double of the week. That's tough. Got a family? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Three kids. I'm asking questions and listening for opportunities to be able to share the next level. And what was that? Well, step two, we unpacked this last week. Again, these teachings are online. I'd love for you to go there and get refreshed deeper on this. But the idea is to have compassion. Compassion, we said, is more than a feeling. It's more than just a, oh, man, that's so sad. Somebody should do something about that. Good luck. Compassion as Jesus has, enters into suffering. Compassion enters into, it suffers with, which is why it's not just an, a mental feeling. You literally feel compassion in your, oh, in your gut. Oh, I feel that. And I want to enter into suffering with them. This is exactly what Jesus did. He suffers with. We mentioned last week, compassion will cost you. Yes, it takes more time for me to get through the express lane, and I'm sorry if I'm block, blocking you up for a second. It takes time. It might take resources. It might be, you know, giving someone an extra tip. It might be adding some value to their lives. It might be taking them out for lunch or actually buying the cup of coffee. Compassion costs. Compassion is risky, though. Hey, how can I help? When you help someone compassionately, it doesn't always mean the story is going to end up great and they end up on their knees in church. Sometimes people accept compassion, and the story doesn't end well. But that doesn't mean I don't get to continue to have compassion. What is it to have compassion with our neighbors? Here's a story. We used to live in, you know, kind of a closed neighborhood. It was a couple of streets all together, and I had a neighbor that lived there, Roger. Uh, Roger was a, a good guy. I, you know, hey, Roger, how you doing? Good, good, good. Smile. One day I saw Roger sitting out in front of his house and he was polishing this classic car, beautiful car, vintage car. Uh, stop over and say, hey, Roger, how's it going? It's a beautiful car, man. Wow, it's nice. He's like, yeah, yeah, I've been trying to sell it. I've been trying to sell it for a while and I haven't got anybody to buy it, so I'm putting it out one more time. Oh, yeah? He's like, yeah, I could really use the money. Ooh, I heard that. Okay, well, um, my first instinct was, uh, I'll pray for that. Oh, I'll, I'll pray for that and walk away, but I thought, no, no, 
I want to enter into that suffering with him. So I'll tell you what, Roger, why don't I pray with you right now? Next thing you know, I grabbed his arm, which that was because he was a big guy and he had a big old arm. It was hairy. And I could tell when I grabbed onto it, it was like, I just broke a barrier here. We weren't on holding hands uh, 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 relationship yet. But I'm, I'm done. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just hang on now for the ride. So I, st- I start to pray because he said, you know, yeah, I'll take anything. I'll take anything. So, okay, I'll pray. Lord, thank you for Roger. Thank you as my neighbor. Lord, I thank you for his car. I thank you for his family. And I start praying. I'm getting to the point where I'm going to pray for, Lord, would you help him sell this car today because he needs to have it done? And I'm thinking, okay, this is bad. Like, in my head, through my prayer as I'm talking, I'm thinking, this is a little weird because I'll tell you what, if he doesn't sell this car today, then I look, no. God, you look a little weird. So, Lord, would you please help Roger sell this car today so that he knows that you're with him? In Jesus' name, amen. I left. Roger texts me later in the afternoon. I pulled the car out on a main street. God pulls up next to it. I love that car. I will give you a full price cash offer right now. He called me from the bank. I was like, dude, that's amazing. What are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to pay my bills. I'm like, no, no, no. What are you going to do with a God who answers prayer? entered into that suffering with him. See, and this is my next step here. See, when we are a companion to people on the road, when we're nice and we ask questions and we see value in others and then we hear needs and we enter into and try to enter into that suffering with them, you will have more opportunities to share Christ. How do we see this in the story? If we look back at Luke chapter 10 and verse 34, it's the Samaritan. Comes to the man, he sees him, Moved with compassion, he goes to the man and he bandages his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, loads him on his animal, takes him into an inn, takes care of him, is what he says. So the good neighbor offered healing to the man who was laying there beaten and broken on the side of the road. And throughout the Gospels, Book of Acts for sure, many of our rooted groups are spending time reading the Book of Acts right now. We see that God moves with healing often to affirm the truth of the gospel. Often God will move in significant ways, giving release, healing, in a way that testifies to his goodness that he is there and, he's, he's, and the gospel is true. It opens the door for people to receive that good news that Jesus is risen and the Holy Spirit is poured out for all. Back to my neighbor Roger, you know, dude, what are you going to do? Because I had prayed not just for my reputation, but Lord, in the name of Jesus, sell this car. What are you going to do now with a God who answers prayers? Man, I was so blessed, so blessed, a little, little less than a year later to baptize Roger and his family. It was beautiful. Friends, and we see that with grace and peace, too. The idea that when we go out and we're a companion to the lonely, showing compassion, we get an opportunity to share Christ. And it really is amazing. See, you see this again, that good Samaritan. He poured on the oil and the wine, seeking to do a ministry of healing. Seeking to do a ministry of healing. And God still works that way 
giving release from afflictions, even, we said, unnecessary depression, things like that, anxiety. He'll give release to that, especially in those risky prayers in a way that glorifies him so that people know the gospel is true and Jesus is for real. See, Christian love, which is what we have and what we've been given and what we're called to go out with, is first of all holistic. It's holistic. Now think about it. The great commandment, we're called to love the Lord our God with all your heart, with your mind, your soul, and your body. And our mission is to go out with the same, to minister to the heart, the mind, the soul, and the body. And I know I'm, I'm one, I'm, I'm kind of wired for evangelism because if somebody didn't share with me the gospel when I was a young adult, uh, not even that young of an adult, I wouldn't have accepted Christ. And because of my conversion, because that was later in life, yes, I do have a passion for evangelism. And I know one of the critiques of an evangelist is, oh, all you want to do is get somebody to pray the prayer. No, 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 no. Christian love is holistic. Christian love is holistic. It ministers to all the needs. Now, we do recognize that the greatest need that someone can have is spiritual. That is their greatest need. But Christian love is not ignorant of the needs of the body. In Christian theology, spirit and body are not separate. They're together. They're unified. They're one. Well, what about this? Maybe you've used this meme or you've heard this before. You know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Maybe that's one you've shared or heard before. Preach the gospel at all times, but if necessary, ah, then maybe do words. That's emphasis on the acts of compassion rather than the spoken or proclaimed gospel. Usually it's credited to, to big names like Francis of Assisi or uh, even Charles Spurgeon has been credited with having said this. Here's the problem. They didn't say it. None of them said it. No one's even sure where that came from, and that kind of understanding is not biblical. We are not called to just go out and do good things and do nice things for people. We're called to go out and do nice things and good things for people in a way that glorifies Christ so that the spiritual needs are met. Also, the gospel is holistic, mind, spirit, and body, and soul, flesh and, and spirit together. See, Jesus had compassion, and he taught people. He spoke of the presence of God's kingdom and the release of afflictions. And then he was there with 5,000 when they started to feel hunger, and he stopped teaching because he understood that it's hard for people to hear when they're hungry. So we're going to feed them first. It's hard for people to experience the love of God when they're painfully lonely. It's hard for people to trust in freedom from sin when they're still oppressed. This is why, even as a denomination, we are committed to the whole mission of the church, ministries of compassion, mercy, justice, and evangelism. You hear that in there, compassion, mercy, justice, and evangelism, heart, mind, soul, and body. Christian love is holistic. Christian love also crosses boundaries. Christian love crosses boundaries. You see it in the story there. But the Samaritan, ah, as he journeyed, he came to the man. Now, Jesus knew when he was using the example of a Samaritan showing love that that was going to raise a few, you know, eyebrows, get some people hot in the collar, because Jews hated Samaritans. And honestly, Samaritans hated Jews. 
hated each other, lived around each other, couldn't stand each other. Now, it's presumed that the man who Jesus describes in the parable walking down the road gets attacked and beaten, probably a Jew, doesn't say it. Either way, he was stripped naked anyway, so how could you even tell? But the Samaritan didn't care. He walked by, looked at the man, and at some point, division didn't matter. This man's half dead. He's bleeding out. I'm just going to care for him because Christian love crosses boundaries. The Samaritan had every reason not to have to care for this guy. But when we see suffering or we see hurting people, that should eliminate all sense of division. Now, of course, we live in a world that is harshly divided on multiple lines. And you yourself could right now probably categorize easily six, five different ways that you are separate from others, that we've been separated from them theologically, sociologically, politically, uh, in education, in race. We think of so many different ways that we are being divided and split from one another. Christian love crosses over those boundaries, especially when we see need or suffering. We don't need to just be fearful of one another. Christian love crosses boundaries. One of the other boundaries we put up is one called tolerance, but it's sort of mislabeled because what it says is, well, they look like they're doing okay over there. I don't know if they're ever going to want to receive or hear anything about Jesus or God, even if I like them. Now, the scriptures are real clear. Jesus is real clear. Do not judge. Judge not, he said, or you'll be judged. But judging doesn't mean, oh, they also live on a dangerous road. Judgment doesn't mean they're going to be okay. Judgment also understands that when we say, oh, they'll never be open to receiving the gospel, we have just judged them. Oh, they'll, they'll never want to hear, they'll never want to connect with me, or they'll never want to hear about Jesus. We've just judged them. Here's another honest story. It was same neighborhood, same different neighbor. She was uh, living a lifestyle that I couldn't affirm, and we knew it. And so there was distance between us. Now, before you start sending your emails, I'll be honest, she didn't like me much either. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. Everyone knew it in the neighborhood. So there was distance, and there was sort of a, a separation. She wasn't really connecting much to other neighbors, too. But Christian love crosses the boundaries. And so I remember thinking as she, I saw her doing a power walk by, I was like, okay, this separation never gets her any closer to experiencing the love of God the transforming work of the gospel in Christ. So I started making effort to try to build a relationship. One time walked alongside her, tried to walk alongside her. Just, hey, how you doing? How's your work? How's your kids? Asking questions. We grew in friendship. It took time. It was awkward. It was awkward, honestly. But we grew in friendship, and it was really great. And there was an embrace of the whole neighborhood with all of us. And I just feel like that was really important ministry because Christian love crosses over. It doesn't just say, well, they'll never want to. They'll never want to hear it. Because Christian love also paves the way for the gospel. Hey, Roger, what are you going to do about a God who, who answers prayer like that? What are you going to do about that? My mother-in-law also had neighbors. Um, they, were, they were Chinese and, and Buddhist, and they were also business owners. And they came to her once with a need. There was like, need of some paperwork. I think it was immigration paperwork that needed to come in. 
My mother-in-law said, well, well, let's pray for that. So she started to pray, and she prayed in Jesus' name, and the paperwork, thank you, Jesus, came in on time. So they came back over to share with her that good news, and they said, you know, what's so amazing is we've prayed often to Buddha, but Buddha's never answered our prayers. They gave their lives to Christ, the mom did. She led her husband to Christ. They led their parents to Christ, their children. Now they go back to China with the gospel and are ministering to their family, even back in their homeland. Christian love opens the door to the gospel. What are you going to do with a God who moves in significant ways? Friends, when we go out with intentionality, journeying on our way, and we show kindness, and we ask questions, and we give value to people, it gives opportunities for us to express compassion, to enter into suffering, to give relief in a way that glorifies God and gives us opportunities to say, when they ask, why are you doing this? Why are you so happy? Oh, let me tell you why. Because God loves me. And Jesus has set me free. Do you know him? Let me give you some good news about the good news. This is good news about the good news. People are still coming to Christ. I know it's 2019. I know we think we're smarter than that now. But people are still coming to Christ. They are. They're coming to Christ through church ministries and outreaches. Yes, they're coming to Christ through pastoral care. But they're also coming to Christ in workplaces in coffee shops, and in, in, in sitting in your living rooms, in your kitchens. People are still coming to Christ. Now, when we talk about sharing God, when we talk about sharing the love of God, when we talk about sharing Christ, I have to recognize, first of all, when we say share, that means we have and we're sharing a piece of. Here's the amazing thing. When we share out of what we've been given, He fills in more and more and it piles over and it fills over to overflowing. But we cannot share, friends, what we don't have. And if you're here this morning, and you're one who still feels lonely, lost, or oppressed, if you're one who's here and you're like, ah, oh, I don't yet have that rest for my soul, I would love to come to talk, to talk with you, and we'll have prayer ministers that would love to pray with you, to leave here today with the love of God in your heart, the gospel of Christ on your lips, for the rest of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Praise, praise Him to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in every trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We go out with a ministry of comfort, giving comfort, because that's what we've received from God. In other words, won't you please be a neighbor? Let me pray. Jesus, you are our constant companion on this dangerous road that we travel. And while we were still sinners, Lord, dead, in our sins and transgressions. You drew near. You have compassion for us. You enter into our suffering. You take on our pain. You take away our sin. And Jesus, you love the whole of us. You want to heal our hearts. 
We want to give wisdom to our minds. We want to give hope for our souls. We want to restore our bodies. You are our rescuer and our redeemer. And we thank you for sharing with us the inheritance of eternal life. And because we've received this gift of eternal, forever life, let us never say, we don't have time for others. Restore to us today, Lord, the joy of our salvation. Give us your Holy Spirit to lead us in doing your will. Teach us to be the good neighbor to those you have placed around us so that all of our neighborhood would come to know the story of your great love. In Jesus' name.